listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. Well, good evening to all. My name is James Natsis. I'm the CEO of Apricot Consulting. It's great to have you join us today. We had originally scheduled this uh, meeting to be in the city of Melbourne and uh, probably somewhat fortunate that we're not there today because I think it would have been uh, hiring a boat to get in there, uh, I would have thought, to get into the CBD. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, it's great to be on the call with you all today and we've got a great lineup this evening to share on a really important topic. Uh, when you think about what's happened in the last 12 or so months with COVID and popular research suggests that the digital agenda has been accelerated between three to 10 years. Uh, the impact that, that has had on... Um, <laughs> the, the impact that is had uh, put on a meeting. learning and so forth has... Uh, uh, no, I'll just really do it important. this way. It's easier because I don't know. I'm in here, in here now. Thank you. Just encourage everyone to put themselves on mute if you can as well. Uh, but it's certainly... As we think about COVID and what it's done to accelerate the learning agenda, and most of us are sort of probably asking this question, whether that be in from a HR perspective or a line manager or a director, or even an executive level, is how do we continue to roll with the punches? How do we get ahead of the, the curve, if you like, commercially, as well as bring our people on that journey? And so today we will discuss uh, aspects of that. I've got a really, really good lineup which I'll introduce in a moment. I'll let them talk about who, who they are and what they do, and, and then we'll jump straight into the questions today. Before I do that, just a quick uh, thank you and a shout out to the Elmo team. Um, and they're essentially co hosting with us, and they're a terrific company, uh, Australia and NZ based. And of course, they're in the global uh, context now. Get, offering the fantastic solution, which we'll hear about uh, very, very shortly from James. And we originally planned to have this event, obviously, on site uh, in, a, in a restaurant. Uh, and here we are on a call today. So we'll hear a little bit more about them. From our perspective from Apricot, so who are we? Just really quickly, I'll run you through a little bit about what we do. Uh, and then I'll obviously hand over to the team to introduce themselves and jump into tonight's uh, questions. So at Apricot, we work to build the health of leaders, teams, organisations in the broader community. Now, underneath that, if you like, that array of portfolio that we work with, we work in executive coaching, we do leadership development, we do anything to do with change, whether that be culture or organisational change, digital HR, uh, as we mentioned before, and of course, our corporate social impact which has been growing significantly over the last uh, eight or so years and across, of course, all our services, if you like. That's a little bit about us, and I'll hand over to the team to share a bit about who they are and what they do. So perhaps, Chris, you can jump in first. Thanks, James. Um, hi, everyone online. I, I can't see everyone there, but I can see there's quite a number of participants, so that's, that's great. Um, thanks for inviting me in. So I'm, I'm probably wearing two hats here. Um, probably brought in for my uh, my uh, weekend role as an AFL umpire. Um, but having said that, I'm off Adelaide tomorrow night, so it's every day of the week. Um, but also work in uh, 
software engineering company, industry and co. And, you know, we have a really strong culture around learning development um, and specifically around the AFL space. Um, we're really working hard to build, you know, individual agency across our group so that, you know, everyone can be sort of self-directed, self-guided and self-initiating around their development plans. So, yeah, really keen to um, speak tonight. Great. James, I'll get you to talk a little bit about yourself and perhaps talk a bit about Elmo as well. Yeah, great. Thanks, James. Uh, yeah, look, uh, so I'm from Elmo Software. I, I run one of the, the sales teams here. Uh, a little bit about Elmo. We're uh, obviously an Australian company, um, built and bred here for Australia um, and, and New Zealand. Started off in 2002, so it's going back almost 20 years. And I think what's really relevant here is that the, our legacy is around learning. That's really where we started, was around building out a learning management platform and being able to support our customers in developing, particularly uh, early on around compliance, but we've then, you know, moved on from that with feedback from our customers around their greater needs and started to become uh, more of a, a domain expert in that space. But we do cover a broad range of solutions through uh, HR and payroll uh, and work very closely with uh, with Apricot which is uh, a great, but look, I'm, I'm really excited about this and I think uh, learning has a big part to play, not just in terms of, you know, training, developing people, but in terms of the whole um, organisational culture and leadership, which is a, a much greater thing uh, that I think we'll probably touch on a bit today. So thanks, James. Terrific. Darren Perris, uh, Head of Talent at Kraft Heinz. Lovely. Thank you, James. I'm hi, team. So my name is Darren Pierce. I'm head of talent um, at Kraft Heinz uh, for Australia, New Zealand, South Korea and Japan. Um, my remit covers talent acquisition, employee branding, learning and development and talent management across the four countries. Um, in terms of Kraft Heinz, uh, the fifth largest uh, food company um, around the world. Um, in terms of our sides of business outside of US and Canada, we're a $1.1 billion business across the four countries, um, playing in around 35 categories, ranging from sources to baked beans, uh, to, to um, pet food and, and coffee in New Zealand and to frozen chips in Japan. Uh, so a very diverse business, a um, lot of challenge, especially during COVID and looking forward to sharing a lot more with you all uh, throughout today's call. So thank you. Thanks, Darren. Uh, last but not least, Felicity Cax. Thanks, James. Hi, everyone. Uh, Felicity Cox, I'm part of the team at Apricot. So I lead our uh, leadership and OD practice. Um, so working with our clients around executive coaching, executive team development, um, leadership programs and organisational consulting, uh, a lot of what James mentioned about the culture change and, and culture development work as well. So that's me. Thanks, James. Terrific. Uh, just after the panel conversation today will obviously provide an opportunity for you to ask some questions so don't hesitate to leave some of those questions in the chat box uh, on Zoom and of course uh, if you haven't already don't hesitate to put your microphone on mute also. So as we discussed from the outset today's topic is the future of learning and development and a really important topic as we discussed. James handing over to you and talking about the role of the vendor and technology in this space, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in the marketplace and how is your organisation, Elmo, approaching learning and development? Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, look, I think we've been going through a bit of a journey for some time now and that's um, probably no surprise to people that we've moved away from the whole face-to-face -face classroom-based training setup, which had a number of flaws in its own, you know, trying to 
put a bunch of people into a room for, you know, several hours or several days and, and basically sink information into their heads and you'd find that they'd walk away from that and two weeks later they've retained about 15 minutes at the most of what you've been trying to communicate. Um, it's, it's not particularly efficient um, and, and what um, most organisations, particularly vendors, have been moving towards is how can you drive learning at the point in time where it's, it's most needed? So really learning um, on the go and what we call in the flow of work. Um, Part of that is breaking it down into, you know, bite-sized consumable components that can be done really at that time. Um, what's really important for us is that it can also be done wherever you are. So it's, you know, it's agnostic to device. It doesn't matter whether you're on a computer or using a phone or your laptop, uh, you know, iPad, etc. Any any platform will work for you to access that and, and to consume that and and pull that information to you rather than having it pushed at you. So that's really important. But we're seeing, as, as James mentioned, some acceleration, particularly around what's happened with the digital transformation that's been brought on by the pandemic. So there's a few things that are coming out of that. One is uh, a drive towards blended learning, which is all about making sure there are a variety of different mediums and, and ways that that information is presented. Um, so that people can actually take that in different ways because we do learn in different ways. Some people are more visual, some learn through listening, through auditory processes. Others want actually something that's more interactive that they can participate in. So having different structures and different mediums is really important. Uh, we're seeing a real level of importance placed on collaboration as we move to distributed uh, workforces and people not being in the same office or co-location, um, there's a, a fear that we're going to lose that collaboration and innovation. And so that's a really important part that also starts to get weaved around uh, the learning piece. And then finally, and this is something we've been working on for some time, and we've got a couple of partnerships in this area, data and analytics is also important. It's, it's really vital that we understand what value learning and development is driving and what insights we can actually attribute from that, uh, that learning and the way that people are actually uh, accepting and interacting with those learning processes. Uh, and I'll probably touch on that a little bit more with one of our other questions, but that, that's a really uh, salient point, even, even though data can be uh, seen as quite boring, it's actually quite exciting when you, you take a look at the, uh, the aspects of that. Yeah, certainly the macro priorities around data and the insights that we learn from it, then input into things such as machine learning, AI, et cetera. So absolutely critical as we look about the role of data. Darren, your, uh, your organisation, Kraft Heinz, talked about selling chips in, in Japan. Um, how is your organisation approaching learning and development? Really interestingly, knowing that you're across a number of geographies as well. Absolutely. And thanks, James. I think where we were when I first joined the business back in 2019, there wasn't a real clear L&D plan at all. And I'm um, going into 2020, the last of 18 months, sort of where myself and the chief people officer sort of decided to take an approach was let's give everyone 
development and develop you know show we, we care about growing their careers so we built our plan around three pillars around business fundamentals and the business fundamentals piece is all around giving people the core skills to be able to cross-functionally collaborate and you know break down the silos across the organization um, so i'll talk about sort of what we did there in a moment the touch upon the other two pillars was around functional uh training so focusing on how do we have our commercial and operation teams to win big in the market but also win big with our customers so this is all around providing our sales teams you know strong negotiation training and you know customer service training to win big with our key customers being Coles, Woolworths, Metcash, um, our three main retailers we work with and also with our operational teams around um, Six Sigma, Black Belt, um, analytics training so they can you know, drive better operational efficiencies uh, within their teams and then the last bit was all around leadership so obviously as maybe you know on the call we know without you know good leadership you can't execute anything and what we sort of realized there was we went, wanted to go back to basics we brought, hired a lot of new leaders into the organization so we went back to basics and focusing around sort of you know having difficult conversations the growth model situational leadership um, listening skills um, how to sort of have performance conversations. So going both back to those basics, but talking about the fundamental business fundamentals piece. So one of the things that we did um, as a full organisation was uh, we partnered with Bursa to launch um, the HBDI tool to all of our employees. And why we did that was because our people were saying, look, you know, uh, I don't know much about the person that sits next to me and I'd like to know more about them. So we actually got um, working with Mercer. We rolled out HBDI assessments to the full organisation. Um, people then did debriefs within their direct teams and they were able to find, you know, this is why this person thinks this way, this is why this person thinks that way. So for full transparency, I'm a, I'm a yellow brain, so I think creatively. I, you know, when, so when people often like to liaise with me, they go, okay, Darren likes to start his thinking in the yellow. So when I come with a solution, I'll think strategically, whereas some people might be blue brains where where they're analytical in their approach or green brains where they're process oriented or red brains where they're people oriented. So by doing that and sharing people's profiles, people go, wait, this person is, you know, a green brain. I need to adopt my thinking and my um my way of my way of communicating with that person and we saw a cultural shift in the last 12 months by just putting people in a room showing their profiles and you know that created more development um you know like that you know that created more development so gave more insight into people than you know a, what a classroom uh sort of training would do so that was sort of how we how we approached it but um, i highly recommend you know the hbdi assessment uh, for those who are considering a great way to sort of drive better cross-functional collaboration in, in their teams Thanks, Darren. There's certainly plenty of other tools in the market, but uh, that idea of getting across the enterprise is a really interesting one. We may pick up on some of that. Question to you, Chris. Uh, Long-term employment with one employer is becoming less and less, and role and company change is becoming more frequent, and the rise of the gig worker. That What role should individuals play in their own earn, learning and development? Uh, thanks, James. I think certainly... Um I've noticed over uh, the last few years, especially as we move more towards sort of like cross-functional teams, agile practices, we're seeking sort of this T-shaped profile where, you know, people would have this really deep expertise in one area, but, you know, maybe broader experiences across domains or, or other technical areas. And, yeah, as I sort of mentioned, you know, that that's the way that people are sort of working, um, more work, working towards these days. But, but I guess to specifically answer that question concerning you know, the individual role, it really starts with having a, a curiosity about the things that really interest you, I think, and then you know, understanding where you are in terms of your development plan and where you want to be. And 
So that all starts with like being resourceful and inquisitive about, you know, discovering different options, you know, tapping into different materials, tools, um, maybe even different people who can support you on your journey from, you know, where you are to where you want to be. And so I think for me, the key thing to, to acknowledge is that no one can see yourself better than you. Um, and so this is really about like building what I, you know, we refer to as like individual agency, where it's, you know, you're really self-reflective, you know, you're self-directed, you're self-motivated and self-initiating because if you can be in charge of your own development plans and understand yourself, well, you can, you know, can take charge of your own learning and development. Picking up on some of that, because uh, not everyone has that sort of in their DNA and they, the, the role of a line manager. Uh, Felicity, this is a question for you. If you're coaching line managers right now to provide them some tools to enhance the development of their teams right now, perhaps building that learning culture, what would advice would you give them? Um, oh, look, there's a few things. And if I look at it, I think this, I'll answer that in two ways. One is as a team and one is the individuals in your team. Um, across both answers, I would say coaching, coaching, coaching. If you are a leader, make sure you know how to coach. Um, it's really, really important. I think in terms of building a team, uh, that making sure you've got a psychologically safe environment and why is that relevant to learning? Because I need to be able to stuff up in front of people. I need to be able to get things right and be told about it. I need to be able to get things wrong and learn from it without feeling like I've, I've failed dramatically and, and am embarrassed by it. Um, so what can you do to create that environment within your team um, and the opportunity for your team to know each other? You know, as if you look at Kraft Heinz, you know, they've used the HBDI to do that. Um, that ability to know each other and trust each other kind of contributes to how much I can learn and how much am I going to say, hey, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. Can you help me? So that on-the-job learning is really happening. Uh, if you're talking about individuals, again, I think it's about as a leader knowing them and creating the space for formal and informal opportunities. I think, um, you know, learning is really changing in terms of how it's delivered. So can I do a masterclass? You know, it, it takes me six weeks and I've done a masterclass and I've got some qualifications versus sitting in a in a room or for a two-day workshop that we may have done in the past. Um, I think those days are becoming less and less. So I think that on-the-job development and accessing kind of shorter, more relevant, you know, so so what is, if, if you're a leader, look at this individual and what does this individual need in their toolkit and what do they want in their toolkit? Um, and then also... What do they need about the how? So I think the toolkit stuff is, is relatively easy, but the how do my team members work as teams and what do they need to learn about themselves? So if you take the collaboration example someone was talking about before, can I use the tech to collaborate? Do I understand it? Do I have the right behaviours? Um, can I take feedback? Can I collaborate well? Can I navigate an environment, recognise that someone hasn't spoken up and shut up for a while? to create space and bring them into the conversation. Um, all of those things are part of learning that as a team leader, you kind of need to have some line of sight of, I would say, um, and help them in a really pragmatical, pragmatic kind of dot, dot, dot way in what we consider previously development plans, but make sure we're focusing on the how as well. Thanks, Felice. And uh, I guess this is a question for you, James, think building on some of that. So there's the role that the leader plays. Now we're working in distributed working models. Uh, some would argue that we're never really going to go back to a full on-site model. We'll be 100% on the site in, in many industries and in many contexts and scenarios. Thinking about the changing work environment, a hybrid 
What does L&D need to be thinking about? We've got tools in the market. We've got lots of opportunities there. What else does L&D need to be thinking about, do you think? I think there's probably, uh, there's at least three main things that I can think of straight away. And it actually presents a really good opportunity because it allows us to actually um, take a look at our organisation and, and actually shift things to where we want to be rather than just a state of, you know, doing business as we had previously. So the obvious one is around flexibility. By having all these tools and, and things that can support us in a, a hybrid or a remote model gives us flexibility, which is great. Um, but flexibility means more than just where you sit or where you're located. It's, it, it also comes down to things like the time that you're available or working and, and other components. And the beauty of that, it's it's not necessarily simple, but the beauty is it can open us up to more diversity and, and particularly in our workforce. And, you know, a clear example of that is, let's say, um, mums who have um, been in the workforce and are returning back after having kids and maybe uh, don't have that, you know, ability to come back in a traditional nine-to-five role, by having a more flexible environment, both working but also in L&D, we can actually bring more people back into the workforce and tap into their unique skills that can actually complement the business. So flexibility is really important. Uh, one of the other areas on that sort of, you know, HR side, which is going to be a pose a real challenge is around equity. Um, and one of the, the concerns is in a hybrid environment that presenteeism could start to rear up. And we see people who are in the office getting, you know, preferential treatment over those that aren't. Um, so again, that's where having the right tools and the right processes around how we support people and support their learning um, make sure that everyone's put on the same level and, and, and are on the sort of that level playing field and no one gets uh, given a, an unfair advantage. Um, and then the last piece, and I actually see this as the most important, not just because I'm passionate about it, but because I think it drives the biggest changes around leadership. I think we need to double or triple down on leadership training and development because our leaders are going to be the ones that actually take us through this change and into the future. And they're the ones that are going to actually play the biggest part. And when I talk about leadership, I'm not specifically talking about your executives or C-level leaders. The ones that are actually most important are your first line and middle managers because they're the ones that are in touch with your people on a day-to-day -day basis. They're the ones that impact change, but they often get neglected. So we really need to empower them and we need to give them the skills so they can actually be the best leaders they can be for all our, our staff and all our people. Yeah, I think you raise an excellent point there, James, and certainly most of the change management work that we've done with tech over the years, the effective stuff has been very much targeted at line manager because they have that day-to-day -day execution, that alignment, that closeness, that proximity to the work being completed uh, and the influence. Uh, excellent points, by the way, and I loved your point about presenteeism as well. I think that's a really, really important point to be considered as we think about what this means for us. Chris, uh, a professional AFL umpire and you've experienced learning in, in lots of different ways. Uh, what do you think the future is going to look like as we think about on-the-job versus formal programs, virtual face-to-face, -face, et cetera? It was um, you know, interesting in what uh, James was sort of saying earlier around the investment um, that's happening as a result of the pandemic, right? Schooling has, has changed dramatically and we've all probably experienced that or spoken to teachers of how you know, the challenges that they've faced and the disruption. Um, so I think whether that be, you know, changes in the way that, you know, we're looking at, you know, language apps or virtual tutoring or online conferencing, online software tools, 
know, we're seeing a rapid investment, I think, in this space. I mean, just last week, a company called Cloud Guru was acquired by a big uh, software company in the US called Pluricite for like $3 billion, right? So it's pretty clear that we're going to see, you know, really tailored online virtual offerings to consumers, you know, that will really expand that expand that space and that opportunity. Um, so I guess the question is, where does it where does it leave us with on-job on training? And I guess the challenge for organisations is to try and provide opportunities that connect um, an, individual, an individual sense of purpose with the role that they're performing. Um, and that's a really good way to do it on the job, you know, for, for organisations. But I guess the other side of that is, you know, where does it happen with individuals? And I guess the key one there is, you know, we can have real-time feedback. Um, and so in an umpiring context, we often get our best learnings from, you know, in-game experiences, but then the interactions that follow. And me as a person, say as a senior umpire, providing the feedback to say a junior umpire, it's no point in me just telling them all the time because then they're reliant on me to actually tell them when they're right or wrong. So I always find that, you know, asking Socratic questions is a really good place to start for on-job on training. So things like, you know, well, what parts did you struggle with or, you know, how did this part make you feel or what do you think you could do next time? And so that's a really good way to actually build, you know, capacity and capability for in, you know, in the individual so they can take, take charge of their own development. And so I think it's incumbent on both, you know, individuals and organisations um, to continually try and create these opportunities for on-the-job training. But, you know, as Felicity said, right, it has to be these interactions have to happen in a really safe place where people feel secure and, you know, feel open where they can, you know, actually share and, and problem-solve effectively. Some also great insights, mate, just thinking through some of that stuff and just sort of processing it and how that may be and talk to, talking about the acquisition of that company and how education is going to ha continue to evolve uh, in that way is, is quite fascinating. Darren, thinking through it's just this broader narrative, which I think we've been hearing quite a lot about when the pandemic first hit, they spoke about the pink recession, they spoke about some other challenges about certain industries becoming almost... Uh, basically going overnight. And so the whole notion of upskilling, cross-skilling and reskilling, uh, what are your thoughts on some of that? Yeah, good question, James. I think where we are now, I think speaking to I think a lot of people on the call understand, it's a real, it's a real hot talent market at the moment. It's a real lot of talent shortages going on across all industries. Um, I think what what we're seeing right now, you know, generally with talent, is that when they're going for a new role, um, they're getting counter offered by the existing organisation. They may have got four or five offers sort of on the table, um, but then they're picking organisations primarily for you know the leader they're going to work for, but also um, for the future career opportunities that lie ahead. Um, should they join the organisation? So I guess with the current talent shortage, obviously there's a, a big piece around reskilling and also cross-skilling as well. And so sort of two examples I can sort of talk to around that. So, you know, currently sort of at the moment, we're looking at building sort of a strategy academy within, you know, our business around, because our strategy team consists of, you know, finance professionals and category professionals and the finance professionals all around looking at revenue management and the commercial finance piece of how our product's performing um, in our retailers. And you've got the category teams, which are all around okay, how do we work with the retailers to build strong category plans so that, that like, the retailers can succeed with our products, you know, in um, in their stores. But what we're finding is that this this talent pool is quite small. They, they're, not, they're not around much. They, they only work for the FMCG. So we have to think creatively around how do we create this talent. And so where we're sort of heading is looking at, looking at these finance professionals. Can we cross-skill them into category? And then can we 
cross-skill the category people into finance. So you're building a well-rounded uh, sort of commercial strategy professional and you sort of do this journey over a sort of a, a two-year period and we're building our own talent and building talent that's specific to how Kraft Heinz um, sort of, you know, approach sort of um, strategy we set with our customers and, and our retailers. So that's sort of one example. And then in a previous life, um, in a previous organisation I was at, um, when I worked in the tech space, one of the things we realised in uh, back in 2018 was that there was a massive war for talent for tech back then. So that three, four, you know, back in 2018, and a big shortage around cybersecurity specialists, coders, um, architects, agile project managers. And what we realised, you know, back then was that we had to build the talent ourselves. And this, the, this, um, I guess, the, evo- the evolution of these sort of tech bootcamp academies like General Assembly, like Coder Academy, like um, uh, uh, Wagon, who, you know, where people can go and do a 12-week course and at the end of it, they become, you know, a qualified coder. And so what we realised that was sort of... Of, you know, we couldn't just tap into the the graduate pool all the time. We had to look at how we can grow this talent um, ourselves. So what we did was we built out an academy where we said to people, if you love tech, you've got good learning agility, you know, you've um you've got grit, you've got resilience, um, come and join us and we will train you on how to be that tech professional. So in this process, we had about two and a half thousand applications for the role. We didn't look at a single CV throughout the process. We just said to people, here are some assessments on resilience and grit. Um, let's test your, your love of technology and bring into the organisation. Then after that, we put people through a, you know, a 12-week course on all things technology. So we taught them how to code. Um, we taught them agile. We taught them to the basics of architecture. And the, the diversity of the cohort was amazing. We had people who were photographers, who were returned to work parents, accountants, lawyers. We had a pilot in there who were keen to sort of, you know, re, you know, reinvent their careers. And what we sort of saw was that by um, by reskilling this group, they were grateful for the opportunity, grateful, they were grateful to be able to be to reskill themselves and from that you know they were committed to growing that career and we've sort of seen you know speaking to the contacts of mine since leaving the organization uh they found that you know the, this group of individuals actually outperforming the graduates um who are coming through the graduate program from you know the people who study it degrees computer science degrees from the australian university so um that, you know that was a great a great case study around reskilling so Cross-skilling, reskilling. It, you know, with the talent shortage right now, um, with borders not opening up till you know another year at least, um, it's it's the way to go. Yeah, well, there's heaps in that, and even just that uh, case study you said about you know looking at how you might hire differently in this type of market was really profound. Thinking through how we even think through the whole job description and and that whole process uh, is a really really good point, Darren, and certainly worth picking up the conversation. Uh, with you if, if people for, on the call would like to discuss more. Uh, before I sort of hand over some questions and there are some some points being put out in the chat, which is great. Uh, good question about this this whole topic of L&D, and this is sort of open this up for all the guys on the panel, is what in relation to CEOs and executive teams and, and thinking about in relation to L&D. So it, it, to me, it's partly that question is how do we get the senior leadership team thinking about this as a priority? Would you like me to start? <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know what? My number one with CEOs and, zec- and executives would be 
don't think it's a two-day course. So the most common thing I hear from the really, really senior folk that we engage is, Felicity, can you just come in and do a few days? Felicity, can you come in and do once a quarter? Um, yes, if I can coach them in between <laughs> or someone else can. Um, you know, I think the I think learning's really different now. You know, there's there's content everywhere. Um, so that so kind of sitting in a room with people and talking about content, um, you can do that in lots of different ways. So I think when you're together face-to-face, it's about how do we really kind of dissect the content, not have me tell you the content. Um, so I think, you know, workshops serve, they, they are valuable, but I think we need to be a lot more disciplined um, about how we use them and how we use time together and potentially a bit more flexible. So um, my number one response to CEOs and execs would be, it's not a workshop. Um, Darren, do you have any views on that? Yeah, look, I think mean, what I say to state of leaders is that you are responsible for your own L&D. It's not a HR responsibility, it's yours. Um, and one of the things that we're sort of focusing on is coaching, to your point, Felicity, is that if you think about the adult learning model, semi-2010, people learn really well on the job and they, you know, and they, and they learn through really strong leaders. So really upskilling coaching capability is really a big focus for us now. To my earlier point, you know, people are only jumping ship to other organisations where they want to work for strong leaders. And when you've got a good... A great leader who knows how to coach they're going to learn more in that than a, a two-day classroom uh so for for me the way i say so is that you know we're here to, you know, as a hr team we're here to partner with you but you are responsible for your own l d um and you know with, a, with good coaching you'll develop your team better than you will in a, in a two-day classroom format any other comments from james and chris on this topic yeah, I'll jump in. I, I think Felicity and Darren have hit, you know, hit the nail. Absolutely, coaching is vital, and that's something in in any organisation you, you really need. And, and that ongoing learning is is also really important. But um, probably just to touch a little bit on one of the other points that Darren made, and this is something we've been talking about recently, is there is a talent war out there. Um, it's it's it was always there, but it's actually accelerated through the pandemic, um, and the locking down of borders is going to make that more complex. Um, Apart from the fact that it's hard to attract talent, um, there's a lot of people that are looking to move around as well. So right now, uh, there was a survey done recently and at least 40% of people currently in the workforce are looking actively to change jobs. That's that's almost half of the workforce are actually out there seeking to change roles. Um, now, that, that should be an absolutely huge red flag to any CEO because the worst thing to any organisation is to have high turnover. Um, learning and development is actually one of the best ways to, to navigate that by um, retaining staff because you empower people, you give them new skills, you let them be adaptable and flexible and build up their resilience. Um, and you get to promote them through your organisation as they take on those skills. So that's really important in terms of retaining staff. Um, but I can go one step further and, and without doing a product pitch, we've partnered with UTS to build AI into our platform. And one of the first things that we've been able to launch through that is an ability to show visually um, flight risks in your organisation. And part of that is based on how they interact with your learning um strategy and your learning programs. If someone is uh, not actively engaging, that's an early warning sign that they may be not engaged. And we all know that engaged employees are much more productive and, and are going to stick around longer. Um, then that may, may be a flight risk. And it's a lot cheaper to, to actually retain staff if you can do that earlier 
than to lose staff, bring someone new on, go through that hiring process and then have to ramp them and, and develop them again. So um, I absolutely think um, staff retention and looking at how you actually build your own internal employees is a, a massive thing for CEOs to be looking at right now. Yeah, because then you're telling the value story, aren't you? And I think that's the bit that often when we're talking to HR people, it's telling the ROI story. It's telling the commercial narrative story that is often the delta, what I find, uh, in terms of bridging that gap and getting uh, executives enthused by the whole concept. Because, Fliss, to your point, you know, we don't want to sell workshops, but if we sell a program, that's a significant investment. And it's easy to tick a box off a workshop like it is easy to tick off an e-learn and say we've done this and been there, done that, but we know it's not going to lead to uh, value creation or uh, an adoption of a new way of thinking or a new behaviour that may, may mean moving forward. So I think the value proposition piece is really, really important as we think that. I think, James, you touched on some great points around engaging staff, the cost of hire, those things when you do a business case on that, that make, it makes it a bit more palatable to get in front of the C-suite and say, how about this program or how about this investment in, in a new way of hiring, as Darren highlighted earlier. Uh, let's open up the floor to some more questions. And I know uh, people have been active on there. Uh, I just want to sort of lift a couple. Uh, Marie, I think there's an excellent question here and the appetite for learning amongst employee managers. Uh, if there's still a strong appetite for learning amongst employers or managers, or is the pandemic fatigue affecting their appetite? I think that's a really fair question. Any comments from the panel? Um, I might start might start off here. I think any I think what, what I'm sort of seeing at Craft Times is that everyone wants development. Everyone wants ways in which they can grow sort of in their in their roles and sort of you know with their with their leaders. Um, there is a bit of fatigue around I guess Zoom training sessions. So one of the things we made you know we made some deliberate decisions last year to sort of phase some training out to the following year so that um, you know it was done face to face. And there's, there's so much you can you know see in a face to face environment that you can't get over over Zoom. So that's sort of what we sort of saw there. But right now, I think what I'm sort of seeing is that as long as we give people plenty of notice, we know we plan out calendars months in advance, if not up to 12 months in advance, and it's in the people's calendars, they often tend to work around it and, you know, and att are attending sessions because uh, they're finding that it, you know, how they're going to grow is obviously through their leaders, but also they'll need, there'll be some parts they'll need to attend um, that are technical or, you know, are going to help them, you know, win big with the, with the, you know, with their internal stakeholders or external stakeholders, and they need to, they need to attend those sessions. Um, so a great example sort of our sales academy where uh, we tried doing negotiation training virtually. Um, Bit of a hit and miss. Um, we had to, you know, what we sort of did there was we got people to sort of video themselves in terms of how they um, negotiated um, in person, and then so you know brought that into a face-to-face -face environment and uh, comparing the two um, made made for inter interesting discussion uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think also to add to that as well, I think we all had to learn to adapt. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we're in Melbourne. I think most of us, I think we're in Melbourne. We're in lockdown at the moment. A, a lot can still, you know, a lot, can, a lot can still change week by week. So we just have to run with it and adapt. Um, but it's more around balancing between Zoom and face-to-face and -face is what I'm, what we're seeing, seeing at Craft Times. Great mm, point. I want to just add a couple of little things to that. Um, I, I think one... Um, People are generally motivated um, to invest in learning and development if they can see a reason to do that. So if, if there's a clear um, backing up from the, the organisation that there is a, 
a career path and there are career pathways and, and um, ways that they can actually move within the organisation with the right learning, that's that's going to motivate them. Um, but the, the other piece, which I think is just as powerful, and Chris touched on this uh, slightly before, is around alignment to vision. Um, you, you want to feel like you're actually connected to a greater uh, goal or a greater good. Um, and so if you can make sure that your learning and development program aligns to the organization's vision, but also something that encompasses your employees as well, then it's actually going to help streamline that because they'll they'll see that connectedness and, and feel attached to that. And that's actually quite powerful. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, James, on that point, It's it, you talked about the purpose piece and you look at, you know, the, the whole movement around micro learning and the, the, it's all about the, the length and the almost the brevity, if you like, of training versus the the, the longer, more comprehensive accreditation, uh, if you like. And you even see that even on podcasts. So I don't listen to Joe Rogan, but his podcasts are one to five hours versus the five to 20 minutes. And so learning is still there and it's still a macro priority, but it needs to be connected back into me, but also that broader purpose piece. So I think there's some sage points on there. A couple of people also online sort of agreeing around them that what Darren was talking about before, the sort of mix of the online versus the face-to-face and trying to get that balance right, if you like. Uh, so excellent points. Any other comments on that? All right. But maybe a chance for one more. I believe there's one from Kate. And We'll open this one up. So I'm interested in how blended L&D can help mentoring and patterning, which is often required and has been so much easier when people are together and made so much more challenging with remote delivery and interaction, especially when flexible hours make it interesting with connecting staff. Sort of touched on this a little bit, but is there anything else that we want to say from a panel's perspective? Felicity, any thoughts? Certainly from my point of view, um, when we talk about skill acquisition, um, one of the things that I find and, and a framework that works really well is that whole a piece around sort of, you know, the explanation or the, or the why and the how and then the demonstration but then the guide and the correct. And so that's sort of that side-by-side, um, uh, side-by-side learning approach, I think. And, you know, that can only really happen in terms of skill acquisition, say, for example, in, in the context of what we do in terms of umpiring, whether it be um, if you don't follow, you know, football, whether it's bouncing the ball, which is an unbelievably difficult skill, um, uh, to, you know, where to run and things like that. So demonstrating with explaining how and why that all happens and all that hangs together is a far more um, powerful way, um, you know, to, to one, sell a message, but two, you know, um, really guide and correct people um, through that exchange. Yeah. Perhaps I could probably tackle the second part of that as well in terms of the remote delivery and, and flexible hours. That is that is a real challenge, but it's... Um, something that technology can actually do quite a bit with. And so um, just a couple of examples, we've got uh, discussion boards that we can incorporate inside our learning platform or our learning programs, which allows people to then put in questions and, and talk to each other in, a, in an online capacity. Um, there are solutions out there like Miro, for instance, which provide things like a whiteboard. So that again is very similar, but that can be a bit more interactive. My wife actually uses that in her day-to-day, you know, she's basically in a, a sales call centre thing and they've got a whiteboard going where they can quickly throw up questions and get answers from their peers and their their colleagues. Um, and then you can also look at, um, I just had it and I've lost it. Um, I've lost that one. I'll come back to it when I go and I'll remember the third one. Trello, was it? 
No, it wasn't Trello. Trello's good uh, from project management perspective, yeah. Um, no, no, I've lost it. Sorry. It'll, it'll come back to me when someone else starts talking, I'm sure. Yell out when it does. I yeah. think I'll just add to that. Um, you know, I think as we think about, you know, a lot of the mentoring and coaching that we do with people and and we did continue through, um, through COVID uh, and a lot of what we spoke about as a team is, is partly of this Zoom fatigue that plays out that uh, I think is very real. Um, but seeing a head versus, as you can see now, you can see my shoulders and you can see my head versus actually sitting opposite someone and understanding if they're wringing their hands um, or seeing their physicality, understanding if they're leaning in, leaning back. There, there is something that happens when two people are in the same room that doesn't happen when we do that between a screen. Um, I think that's, I just accept that as a fact. But then I also think it would be really dire if we just stopped doing it because it's not perfect. Um, you know, I think it's 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 onus on us to do the best we can, create the best space, and part of that is being okay when your child runs in talking on the iPad and uh, everything else in between, so you can keep that that mentee comfortable. But um, uh, there is something that happens in face to face between humans that I really value and recognise, and um, we just kind of need to own it and push through when we have to virtually as well. I think it can be done with a mix of both. Yeah. I think what's found worked for us in terms of our sessions at Craft Heinz is like, to your point, for the year when you're in person, you have these like water cooler conversations that, you know, you talk after the session and you sort of debrief and go, okay, this worked well, this didn't work well. So, what we sort of we've had to do is so after, for example, when you run negotiation training sessions at Craft Heinz, we have sort of these, these aftercare sort of tripod sessions where we have peers sort of debrief and go, you know, after session, what worked well, what didn't work well. And so the three of them are sort of connected and sort of committed to their own learning and holding each other to account. Um, and sort of, uh, so they don't forget what 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 they what they learnt from walking out of that Zoom session, and they're sort of prepared to go into the next Zoom session. So it's almost like this nudge in between, not another training session, but it's a nudge to go, okay, this is what I remember. This is how I'm going to then apply it when I go out to Coles and you know negotiate, um, you know, um, some pricing on beans or whatever. So that's sort of what we've worked learnt worked worked well for us. I, I remember it now. So the the third one that was a bit more out there. Um, but we use it a bit and it's something I've seen quite a few companies talking about is actually how to leverage uh, Slack. Um, Slack's actually an amazing tool. Um, and one of the great things about it is it allows for uh, asynchronous communication. And if I get out of geek speak, what that basically means that everyone doesn't have to be in the same place at the same time. So you can actually have a conversation going where people can drop in and out when they need and that can be serviced within that channel, um, and it can even be boosted up even more by using a bot or an AI to basically um, have that conversation with a group who are not all there at the same time. So uh, as an example, uh, there are R&D groups that would normally have what are called a, a stand-up meeting, which is part of your agile development process, and normally you do that at the beginning of the day, get together for 20, 30 minutes and have a quick chat. But now, because they're everywhere at different times, they're having an asynchronous stand-up meeting. So what they'll basically do is have a conversation in the channel with the bot, and then everyone gets to participate when and, and if they're ready at that, that time that suits them. So there's some really Im impressive stuff out there, um, but, it, you know, some of it is cutting edge. And, and the last thing I'm going to say is just to tap into what Felicity was saying around uh, what you get from face-to-face, -face, I completely agree um, um, that there is this extra element through body language and, and other pieces. 
I think what we need to do to try to bridge that gap a bit, because that's not always going to be possible, is we just need to be more explicit. We need to be more verbose. We need to use our hands to speak. Um, we need to be a bit more um, communicative in, in what we're thinking and feeling and not just giving that sort of bland black and white context when we do communicate. We need to actually share more openly of ourselves. Excellent points. Any other comments from our panel before we, and any other questions before we wrap up this evening, give you some time back. All right, lots uh, shared this evening and plenty of uh, fantastic comments on the chat as well. Certainly some really good insights as you're uh, thinking through uh, the, the next phase, uh, how we tell the story to those in leadership that may be above us uh, in the org chart or the food chain. Uh, is going to be really, really important. It, it feels to me that for, for most of us on this call this evening that we're drinking the Kool-Aid on this stuff and we get the importance of it. Part of it's about the value proposition. And at our disposal is uh, a lots and lots of tools. And I think, James, just hearing from you today and also from, from Chris, from Fliss, from Darren as well, uh, some incredibly different ways to think through approaches around learning, whether that's through tech, whether it's through process, through design, uh, or simply just, you know, building it into the workflow. Uh, there's lots and lots of opportunities for us. Special thanks to the panelists tonight. Thank you guys for dialing in this evening, conscious and cognizant of what we've already shared already this evening, which is we're all at a bit, a bit Zoom fatigued, especially for those of us that are in Melbourne. So really thankful for you guys dialing in. Uh, sort of watch this space jump on the socials, uh, send us an email, uh, hit us up on LinkedIn if you want to find out more and we'd love to chat to you. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.